Well, welcome to our uh, Sunday school class again. You will notice we're a little off on the dates. We had a Sunday that we missed. And so um, what says February 21st is actually for February 28th. And hopefully that's not terribly confusing. And it means that this series for February will carry over into one Sunday in March. But um, as you keep up with all of that, the New City Catechism, uh, you're welcome to... Uh, Look that up and read some different commentaries on it that might uh, supplement your understanding of what we are talking about, especially for those of you who are teachers. And by the way, thank you for the work that you do. And um, we really, really do appreciate it. And for those of you who may have uh, missed a Sunday school and you're tuning in to kind of keep up with everything, I just want to say thank you for doing that. That means a lot to me. And it's good for you, it's good for the church, it's good for your class, and uh, I'm glad that you are uh, actually doing that. So with our questions and answers, man, this one has a long answer. I remember when I was in high school and college, we uh, really hated when they would uh, give us, remember those little blue books? And uh, you would have a test question in it and you had to write them out long answer. Well, these are long answer questions for this one. But it also gives you a chance to think about something because the question is, what is the law of God stated in the Ten Commandments? Now, without looking at the answer or doing anything, I just want to ask you to stop and think. Teachers, this would be good for you to stop and think. I did this and um, I flunked. How many of the Ten Commandments can you name? I'm horrible at list. When I go uh, to the grocery store and Sammy says, pick up four things, I promise you, I'm going to remember three of them. And then that fourth thing, I can't think of what it is. I've always had trouble with anything like that in sequence. And so with the Ten Commandments, I thought, piece of cake. And then when I was naming them, um, I don't remember which one it was, but there was one that I would uh, always forget. I would get about nine of them out of ten. You know, nine out of ten ain't bad, I don't suppose. But um, how many can you get? If this is important, like we say it is, if this is the foundation for uh, a moral society as we say it is, then those of us who claim that probably ought to know it and probably ought to think about it. And I think there's a little bit of deception here that we assume that we, and maybe everybody else, that you know, everybody knows this. But I don't think everybody does know it. I don't think we think about it like we ought to think about it. And uh, that's why we're called upon to do this. Here's the answer. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. You shall not misuse, that's a good way of putting it, isn't it? Misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony, uh, perjury. And you shall not covet. Coveting means having a desire for evil things or a desire to uh, break these laws. 
And uh, the verse, of course, we look at is Exodus 23, ye shall have no other gods before me. And uh, we can take what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? You remember he said it was loving God, paraphrase, with everything that you've got, the supreme love, the all-encompassing love, the sacrificial love, the uh, never-ending love, always thinking about him type of love. And then the second one is love your neighbor as yourself. And Paul points out, that everything that is written in the law of God and by the prophets really falls down into those two categories, loving God and loving people. And the Ten Commandments do the same thing. The first part is about loving God. And then at the honor your father and your mother, it talks about how we are to love and how we are to treat people. And this is something that we ought to be very, very conscious of in everything that we do. Because when we mistreat people, we actually are dishonoring God because people are made in the image of God. The book of James speaks of this in the New Testament. And um, then also to dishonor God is the ultimate way to destroy your life. You think about uh, reaping what you sow, and if you don't honor God, then you are going to reap what you sow. And so many times people want to be blessed by God and they ask God to bless them, but they're not blessing Him. They're not honoring Him in the way that they live and the way that they think and the way that they treat Him and the way that they worship. They're just casual about all of it and they really don't give much of a thought to it. And then they wonder why life ends up the way that it does. And so uh, we want to look at the law of God, and we want to think of it. It's summarized here in Exodus 20 in these 10 commandments, and I challenge you to get to where you can name all 10 of them, but more importantly, get to where you uh, have an understanding about the 10 commandments. It's more than just a, a picture or a plaque to put up on a wall. It's more than just a code of ethics that we um, maybe ascribe to, but don't really give it all that much attention. Um, I think politicians do that when they raise their hand and promise to protect and defend the Constitution. And then they never really look at it. They don't know what the Constitution says. They just do what they want to do or what they think is right or what their party says that they ought to do. And I'm kind of a believer that if you're going to promise to protect and defend and obey the Constitution, you probably ought to know what it says. Well, Flipping that over, okay, what about Christians? Should we not know what God says in His law in the Ten Commandments? And uh, these kind of uh, summarize it, or well, they do summarize it, actually. They don't kind of, they do. And so um, think about these things with me. First of all, these commands exalt God. And that really is the bottom line. I know sometimes we take the law of God and these commandments and we talk about morality and ethics and a well-ordered society. And I don't argue with that because they really are. And uh, at the same time, the key to understanding these is you shall have no other gods before me is, is really the, the topic statement about this particular summarization of the law. No other gods 
before me. That really settles everything, doesn't it? When we love God, we can't help but love other people. And when we love other people, um, Paul makes it clear in the book of Romans, we don't steal from people that we love. We don't commit adultery on our spouse if we really love them. And we don't do it with someone who is not our spouse if we really love them, do we? We uh, think about honoring our father and our mother. The key to that is really loving them. And so uh, all of this is very practical, and it comes from going back to what we said just a couple of minutes ago, loving God with everything we've got, and then loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so all of this begins with the idea of exalting God. Now, how different would it be if you were to say, I honor my father and my mother, not because I'm afraid of them or not because of what other people might think. We do so much based on how it looks. Now, I'm all for guarding your testimony, but I don't think that a lot of people are really guarding their testimony. I think they're being man pleasers. And the Bible warns us against that, doing it for the praise of man, doing it for appearance sake. We don't want to get into that. And at the same time, somehow we're supposed to guard our testimony as a Christian. You probably need to do some study and some prayer about that because you got to work that out. How do I do that? How do I guard the way that I live so that Jesus is honored and it does much more than just put up an appearance. Well, we've got to get that part of it right, don't we? And I think it starts with just the exaltation of God, having no other gods before him. Nothing else that takes his place. Nothing else that distracts us from him. Nothing else that we would really rather do. Have you ever been talking to someone. This has happened to me at church. Uh, I remember one time, uh, I won't mention any names, but uh, a person actually asked me a question. And while I am attempting to answer the question, they're looking past my face, over my shoulder at somebody else, and they couldn't wait to get away from me to go over and talk to someone else. You ever had that happen? Have you ever, back uh, when you were younger, you ever had somebody, uh, you know, like a, if you're a guy, you have a girlfriend, and uh, the truth of the matter is she's flirting with somebody else, and uh, maybe you get dumped, and then she takes up with another guy, or vice versa if you're a girl. And, uh, you know, those kind of things, they hurt and they bother us. There are those times when um, you're sort of taken for granted. I've told you all this before. When we moved to Owasso, um, I went back for Sunday night church and I sat down where the youth sat, the youth section, and then here they all come. We had a big youth group and I don't know what they've been doing. I wasn't invited. But um, <clears throat> they all come in, they start sitting down, filling in the pews, and then there's a problem. There's not enough room. And one of the kids in the youth group came to me and he said, would you mind moving? There's not really enough room here for you. And so I went up and sat with my parents and they all wondered why I didn't have anything to do with the youth group for well over a year. Uh, you ever been treated like that? You ever felt that way? 
And so when the Bible tells us no other gods before me, that means that we are not to have this thing to where we give God lip service and we act like we care. We act like we love him. But the truth of the matter is we can't wait to get on to something or someone else. There's something or someone else that has our attention more than God does. And God's always going to be put on the uh, bottom shelf or in the back of the closet. Or we'll pull him out when we need him, of course. And uh, when tragedy strikes or when there's a death in the family or something like that, then we need to have God to be involved. But other than that, we really don't give him much um, uh, love. We don't give him much attention. We don't really think that much about him because we're too busy with our other things. And that would be having other gods before him, wouldn't it? Um, the literal meaning of that is no other gods in my presence before me, in front of me. I don't want to see anything else. And then he uh, delineates that even to the point of the way that we use his name. And um, I don't know about you, but it bothers me when I hear people that just casually say, oh, my God, or oh, Lord, or anything like that. His name is holy and it's to be treated respectfully and it's to be used not in a meaningless or a thoughtless way, but it is the name that is above every other name. It's the name of salvation. It's the name of power. And uh, we need to be careful about all of that. So I, I want you to think of the commandments like this. Think about how they exalt God. Even when you get to the point of treating other people, I honor my father and my mother because it exalts God. Um, everything. I don't steal because it dishonors God if I were to steal. I don't covet. I don't have all kinds of inordinate desires and jealousies and things like that inside of my heart because God looks upon the heart. Man looks on the outward, remember, but God looks on the heart. And so I want to exalt the Lord from my heart in everything that I do. And so the creator is the one who makes the rules. That's what you get to do when you create something. You get to determine what it is, how it looks, how it's used, uh, what the rules are, who gets to borrow it. You know, that's just the way it works. We do that with anything that we make. And that's the way God is with us. And understand that God, as the creator, he sets the boundaries and he also sets the penalties. It's God who is the judge and God who is also the jury in all of this. And uh, he determines what it is that the penalty might be for breaking these laws. These also are for the proper functioning of human society. God knows us and he knows how we are. He knows how we are as a group. He knows how we are as individuals. He understands our depravity and how the depravity kind of uh, works when it gets together in groups. You know, we always can see this when it's our child at school. Why'd they get in trouble? Oh, they're hanging around with the wrong group. They're hanging around with the wrong kids. Now, technically, we're blaming the other kids for what our kid has done, but you see what we're doing. My kid was fine until he got around that group. Well, we all tend to do that. That's valid to some degree. There are some things that when I was a kid, especially, there were some things that I never would have thought of 
And then somebody brings it up and all of a sudden it sounds like fun and I join in and then I get in trouble. Had I been by myself, never would have dawned on me. And some of the things that we see in the world today, I get amazed because people can think of perversions that I, they're like a million miles away from me. Don't get me wrong. I've got my own problems and my own sin and I've got enough. But when we get together in groups, when we are on social media, when we are watching television or movies or listening to music or anything, we can come up with all kinds of even worse things, can't we? And God understands that. And so he gives us these rules and regulations so that, um, well, we'll do right and we'll treat other people right and uh, understand that as we are functioning in society, we really are responsible to one another. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're not made to function in isolation and we're not made to function where we just basically tell everybody else to uh, do whatever they want to do or whatever and uh, we'll live our own lives. It just doesn't seem to work that way. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 <clears throat> verse 58, if you are not careful to do all the words of this law, that are written in this book that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Um, that's what God really boils it down to. Obeying him, right? Obeying what he says in his word and also to fear his glorious and awesome name. This is the Lord. This is our God. Secondly, these commands give guidance for life. How do I know what to do? How do I know how to live? How do I make the right decisions? How do I understand moral dilemmas and moral choices as they come my way? Well, I would suggest get to know <clears throat> and get to understand the Ten Commandments, the law of God. They tell us how to but they also tell us how not to worship God. We act like God is a beggar and he's the nerdy kid on the playground that likes any attention that he gets. But you read the Ten Commandments and you find out, no, that's not true. God's very picky about the way that we treat him, about the way we revere him, about the way we worship him. And he also tells us what not to do. Don't use his name in vain. He's not going to hold you guiltless if you do that. His name matters to him. He tells you not to make idols and not to make things that are created wherever they may come from and uh, to worship them. And he doesn't want any other gods <clears throat> before him or in his presence because that's actually demon worship. And a lot of people don't realize that, but to bow and worship a Buddha or any other thing is to worship demons. And uh, how foolish we are sometimes when we put other things in the place of God and let them control our life. How to and how not to worship God. It also tells us how to relate to other people. Think about this, family authority. Have we seen a breakdown in the family, in our culture, in our society, in our nation? Boy, it's under attack, isn't it? And um, we think about 
not only the family authority, but think about the sanctity of human life. You shall not murder. And that would include whether it's somebody on the street in a homicide event or whether it's a baby in the mother's womb. It tells us about sexual relations. God has designed uh, sex. He's given us sex and sexual relations. And uh, that is in the context of marriage. And uh, it's a joyful and happy and wonderful thing. But we have taken that and said anytime, anywhere, with anyone, in any situation, and we wonder why our society is falling apart. He talks about private property. Does the Bible teach socialism? Does the Bible, um, I guess, affirm capitalism, that type of thing? Well, these commandments don't actually answer those questions, uh, you know, directly. But think about this. You shall not steal. If everything belongs to everybody and we're in a collective, we're communist or something like that, then that would be an irrelevant commandment, wouldn't it? The thou shalt not steal thing presupposes that there is private property. It kind of answers that question for us and addresses that. Leave other people's stuff alone. Return what you borrow. Take, uh, replace what you break. All kinds of things could come through. But bottom line, you shall not steal. Talks about perjury. You know, um, it seems today people don't even hesitate to lie. They may even say to you, you know, I'll swear on a stack of Bibles while they are lying to your face. They may even think about, uh, we all complain about politicians that they don't keep their promises. They put their hand on a Bible, don't they? And they promise uh, what they're going to do. It doesn't bother uh, people a bit to tell a lie right now. Our conscience seems to be gone. Now, as a believer, your conscience should not be that seared and that hard. You have the Holy Spirit living within you. And uh, God is a God of truth. And he wants us to be truthful with ourselves, truthful with him, and truthful with one another. And especially the idea of bearing false witness would really mean in a court of law or when you are testifying to something, you don't want to be a liar about somebody else and cause them to uh, suffer penalties that they don't deserve, things like that. So uh, all of this is summed up in commandment number 10. I mean, I really think if you could get commandment number one and commandment number 10, if you really got those down, the rest would fall into place. And commandment number 10 is you're not supposed to have um, wicked inner desires, wanting what other people have and wishing they had nothing or, um, you know, wanting to do the other things. I don't commit adultery, but I want to. Um, Those kind of things. Deuteronomy chapter 12 Verse 29 and 30 says, When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you, uh, to whom you go to dispossess, in other words, the Canaanites, you're going to take over their land, um, to dispossess them and dwell in their land. Now listen, here's the, here's the point. Make sure 
that you be not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed and that you do not inquire about their gods saying how did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same why did he say that he doesn't want you to get caught up in that it's really none of your business you're so busy and so occupied with your God and serving him the way he wants to be worshiped that what is going on with the worship of other gods well, it doesn't matter and it's irrelevant to you. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? So you're not going to find peace and you're not going to find contentment and you're not going to find cleansing from sin and being able to overcome your problems and where the enemy is tripping you up anywhere else but the Word of God. And sometimes we act like today that the real answers are out there in Eastern mysticism, that the real answers are out there in uh, some perverted psychologist's thoughts, that the real answers are out there in drugs or alcohol, uh, the real answers are out there. If I could just get away from church, if I could just stay away, it's, it's just painful sometimes to go to church. Well, that's true because sometimes meeting God and being in the presence of God is painful. Read Isaiah chapter six. Woe is me, he said. He didn't get warm fuzzies when he saw God. He panicked, didn't he? And uh, think about the Apostle Peter, the first time he met Jesus, he said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. It's sometimes not easy to be in church and to be around God's people. But where else are you going to go? And Jesus even asked his disciples that question, are you going to leave also? And they said, where shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Because whenever God allows you to be hurt, he's doing it for your good. He's doing it so that he can bless you. He's doing it so that he can get you through that situation. But if you run from it, you're never going to get through it. You're just going to wallow in it. And all you're doing, you say, well, it feels better. Yeah, you're just anesthetizing yourself. But the real problem is still there. And when the anesthesia wears off, you're going to really hurt. It's better to deal with it. Deal with it now. Thirdly, notice that these commands have a deeper moral meaning. Now, sometimes we want to just be like the Pharisees and say, uh, when we look at other people, well, at least I'm not doing what they're doing. At least I'm not doing what they're doing. And Jesus dealt with that. And you know where I'm going with this, because we're told in the scripture that we are to guard our heart more than just guarding our actions. See, that's where that 10th commandment comes in. We can guard what we do, but man, are we ever wishing we could do it. And that robs us of a joyful relationship with God. And by the way, other people can sort of sense and tell that you're being a hypocrite too. But here's the deal. If you can stop the desire, kill the desire, then you actually stop the action. You stop the sin. I'm not a fan of Brussels sprouts. You may be. My wife likes them and other people in my family likes them. I can't stand them. And do you know what? I've never been tempted to eat one because I don't have any desire for it. There's no problem with that at all. 
And the same thing is true with just any kind of sin in our life. If all sin hit us like Brussels sprouts or liver or something that you don't like, then it wouldn't be a problem. You wouldn't need any commandments. The problem is some of these things are appealing to our base nature. Some of these things, and they're not always the same thing. I've never really you know, thought much about murdering somebody, right? But I have coveted what other people have. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a little bit different. I've had times when I didn't honor my mom and my dad. And uh, so different things, different strokes for different folks, right? And uh, yet all of us end up being in the category of lawbreakers. And if we could stop the desire, we could actually stop the sin. And the problem is we don't take the desire seriously. Well, at least I didn't do it, thinking it's not as bad as doing it. And there is some truth to that. I mean, there are some things you could think about murdering somebody, and at least you didn't do it. You may be guilty before God, but I mean, at least you didn't kill anybody. At least you don't have to go to trial. At least you're not going to go to jail or be executed or something like that. From the human side, that's true. But Jesus is wanting us to see that as we stand before God in our self-righteousness, God looks upon the heart and looks upon our desires. So we need to take the desire seriously. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 27. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. Now, he didn't deny that that was said, but he goes on to take his authority and say, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Think about pornography and think about all of the things that people uh, have available to them now where they can actually look with, as this version says, lustful intent, not to mention just the day-to-day -day things that we face. Number four, these commands expose sin. Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7, verse 7, that wretched man passage. He says, what then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And by known there, he means really understood it, really gotten it, okay? You might have a little pang of a guilty conscience or something, but you can pass that away and excuse that away if you want to. But when you're confronted with the law of God, it makes it really, really clear. And that's what Paul means, it cleared it up. And he goes on to say, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Isn't that interesting? As Paul is saying here, this man who tried to live a moral, pharisaical, legalistic life, you know what the thing he couldn't handle was? His inner desires. There was an early church father, um, Jerome, I believe it was. He was so tired of the way the temptations of Rome the big city of Rome, the immorality of Rome, boy, it would get his attention. And he would try his best not to give in to it. And um, he thought, if I could just get away from this. And so he went to live out in the desert. And he wrote in uh, these documents are still around that even though being in the desert, being hungry, being thirsty, 
with his uh, skin becoming like leather in the sun and being away from all of that, you know what was happening? He found out that he still wanted the things that were back in Rome. You know what he was saying? It's one thing to be away from all of those, and he certainly wasn't doing them because they weren't available in the desert, but he wanted to. He wanted to. And that's what that 10th commandment, the first one tells us we are to honor God with everything we've got. And then the last one tells us that we need to get our inner desires under control so that they honor God. And when you get those two things right, everything in the middle, the meat of the sandwich, we might say, falls right into place. And so we want to be more than just moralists. And we want to do more than just maybe teach our children, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this, when their heart is still wicked and their heart still wants to do it. Because when they leave home, they'll do it. We've got more than that. We've got higher purpose. We've got higher aspirations. And so as you look at the law of God and the Ten Commandments, memorize them and let them fill your heart. Let them control your mind. But also think a little bit deeper about what they're really saying and what they're really wanting you to do and to be. And the last thing that'll happen is you'll realize you can't do it any more than I can. You can't do it any more than Paul could. You can't do it any more than Jerome could because you've got thoughts and you've got desires that follow you around. But you know what? Paul came to the conclusion in Romans chapter 7, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? And then he came to the answer. It's Jesus Christ. And that's why you need the gospel more than just to take you to heaven. You need the gospel every day to remind you that we all sin and fall short of the glory of God even after we're saved. And the only deliverance and the only hope we have Go back to the very first question in the catechism. The only hope we have is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the law of God drive you to the gospel, the sacrifice of Christ, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the power of Christ in you to deliver you. So thank you for your time, and thank you for your consideration on these things. And may the Lord bless you and have a great, great week for the glory of God. Thank you again.